0: Going in this morning's message, I'd like to dismiss children from Children's Church. So that's ages 4 through 1st grade, and you can follow Mr. and Mrs. Denny out this north door here. Right. Well, again, we serve a God who is indescribable, who has made the seasons, and we are in the season... Of spring heading into summer, right? And we're all getting ready for that. I can tell by the number of shorts that are being worn in the congregation. That's all good. No judgment here. Um, but this summer, I'm going to be a softball coach for my daughter's softball team. It's very exciting, and a lot of these young girls is a ten and under group uh, in Byron, and uh, so it's very exciting. And you're trying to teach them how to play this game. And one of the things that we're trying to teach them is, if you actually get on base, right, how to advance to the next base. Because sometimes that can be a bit confusing. Because if the ball is hit in the air, right, especially if it's in the infield, if it's caught, you can't advance. You have to actually go back to the base and tag up before you would advance. There's no infield fly rule. With this uh, under-10 group, because there's no guarantee that that ball will be caught in the infield. But you know, for if you if you played softball, if you played baseball, that just seems very obvious. You know, of course you have to tag it. But if you're just learning the game, or if you're not familiar with it, it's it's not so familiar, you're, and you're not quite sure. And so as a coach, I'm trying to tell them what you know to, when to take the lead, and if they should go or whether they should. Go back to the base. Again, it's it's something that can seem uh, strange or confusing, if you will. You know, the same thing can be true when you're dealing with a custom that we're really not familiar with, and it's not part of our place and time, if you will. So, if you've been with us in this series through First Corinthians, we've been talking for the last. Oh my goodness, few weeks, even maybe a couple months, about this whole issue of food sacrificed to idols. And today we're going to finish that subject. We're going to finish on what Paul has to say on the matter. And so if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack them open to chapter ten of First Corinthians. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what we come to discover is that whatever we do, whatever our intent, our goal as followers of Christ must be to glorify God. So let me just read these last few uh, verses of chapter 10. We're going to pick up a bit at verse 23. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23, actually into chapter 11 to verse 1. So Paul says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go to eat whatever is put before you, you know, without, without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and and get into God's Word today. Indeed, Lord, this uh, is your Word. And we've been dealing with this matter of food sacrifice to idols for quite a few weeks and quite a few chapters. But it's here for a reason. So open the eyes of our heart that we might see what you have for us today. Feed us, correct us, rebuke us, encourage us in order that we might live live lives that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, (laughs) here we are once again dealing with food, sacrifice to idols. Three chapters. We started out in chapter eight. And he starts out just talking to those who want to participate in this. You see the, this is Corinth. It's a cosmopolitan town where there are Idols that are worshiping foreign gods and food is sacrificed to them. And some of these new Christians wanted to go and partake of the meals that were being served in these temples because they had knowledge. They had knowledge that these so-called gods were not gods at all, as he said in in chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. And so they wanted to participate in this. Here's the problem. There were some... Recent believers who just come out of that background. And for them to enter back into that was to take them right back to their idolatry. And so Paul says in chapter 8 verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. And then in chapter 9, Paul talks about the rights that he foregoes for the sake of the gospel. He continues on talking about how he becomes all things to all men in order that he might save some, win some, for Jesus. And then at the end of that chapter, he talks about running his race in Christ or living his life in such a way as he's running a race to win, giving an Olympic effort, if you will. Back to chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, he looks back on the Old Testament people of Israel and the idolatry that they were going through in the desert, in the wilderness, and then he brings things back kind of full circle to their present time in verses 14 through 22. That for them to actually partake in a meal at a, at a, at a temple of an idol would be that for them to partake on the table of a demon. And it says he basically warns them not to arouse the jealousy of God. So as we've been dealing with this, it seems like the bottom line is, look, this food sacrifice to idols just don't have anything to do with it. Stay away. But Paul's not done. He's not done. He has more to say. So again, in verse 23, he starts out saying, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. In saying everything is permissible, he's basically mimicking what The Corinthians have been saying themselves. Look, Jesus covers it all. Everything's permissible, right? He's mimicking them, and he already addressed it. He kind of said the same thing in chapter 6, verse 12. And his retort is the same, but not everything is beneficial. But this time, instead of saying, but I will not be mastered by anything, he says, not everything is constructive, or not everything builds up others. And he follows with, Verse 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now it's curious that he brings back this, this saying again. Why does he do it? It's not out of line with his logic for the good of others, but he shifts gears here now as we go into verse 25. And he, he shifts actually who he's addressing in the church at Corinth. Look, look at this. Verse 25, he says, eat anything sold in the marketplace. The meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and everything in it. If an unbeliever unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Here's the point. Is that God's ownership, God's ownership makes marketplace meat (laughs) eating okay. So here's the thing. In this, in this culture, it was common knowledge at the meat market, the meat supply, part of it came from these pagan islands, these pagan temples. What they didn't eat, what they didn't consume, what they couldn't use, they'd sell it to the meat market. That's where it would end up. Paul's previous comments would make us think that this is this is kind of counter you know counterintuitive you know, that it's okay to ask to buy meat without asking where, where's the source? Where did this come from? at this point, you know, up to this point, Paul's been ad- addressing those who had the knowledge. That, you know, these aren't gods at all. These aren't real gods who were looking to exercise their rights. But now he's trying to address those who we would call the weaker brother or the ones who did not have the knowledge about these so-called gods. And he calls them to do some growing up. He gives them a little biblical insight into the reality of what's going on here, and he grounds it in God's Word. Look in verse 26. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. Paul's directly quoting the first verse of the 24th Psalm. Here's the point. This meat we're talking about, God made it. This cow, this goat, this sheep, this lamb chop, whatever it is, God made it. He made it. And He owns it all. The whole earth. Whatever we think about what we think we own, ultimately we're stewards. And it's all from Him. And so, yes, this steak, this lamb chop, this pork chop, whatever it is, it may have been sacrificed to an idol. That's right. However, it's not really from that, that idol. It's from God Himself. Why should that idol get the credit for what the living God has done in actually providing food? You see, instead of this being a, a, a problem conscience, is actually going to end up being an opportunity for thanksgiving. And we're going to see that in verses 30 and 31 here in a moment. But he goes on to talk about a scenario where an unbeliever actually invites a believer over for a meal. And Paul says, look, go ahead, go on over if you want to go. And you don't have to ask about where did this come from. You can eat it in good conscience. It's a scenario where when a Christian actually practices their freedom in Christ, it's for the benefit of an unbeliever. They might see you be thankful for what God has provided. And you might actually have an opportunity to engage them about Jesus, about the God who actually provided this for them. But there is an exception. Look at verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. You see, idle acknowledgement in this situation is an occasion to abstain. Idle acknowledgement is an occasion to abstain. Paul thought that for an unbeliever, after he's been informed that this is food that's been sacrificed to an idol and, and it would be detrimental actually to the unbeliever at the meal, not necessarily for the believer, because the believer should know that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But Paul's concern was that it would be in the believer eating the meat. It would be taken as an endorsement, an acceptance of the idol to whom the meat had been offered. And also, Paul does not want to put an idol, a god, a demon, if you will, on equal footing with Jesus Christ, the living God. That he would just be one of many gods. Ah, it doesn't matter what you worship, as long as we worship something, it's all the same thing anyway. No, it's not. It's not. And Paul sees this as a reason to forgo one's freedom for the sake of the unbeliever, for their conscience. However, see how this kind of gets confusing? On the other hand, while one may abstain so as not to lead others astray, there can be those in the body, the body of Christ, whose consciences are overly sensitive or overly critical, they like to make rules and apply the rules to everyone else and feel like their personal convictions need to extend to everyone else. For Paul in his day, it may have been Jewish believers who continue to insist that the Old Testament dietary laws need to be observed by all Christians, Jewish or Gentile. But there's been a new covenant. Jesus has brought a new Covenant, and there's a greater freedom than the old covenant. So he speaks into this. Because thanksgiving is an opportunity to give glory to God, or give God glory. Second half of verse, uh, verse 29. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In chapter 9, Paul again talked about the great lengths he went to making the gospel relevant to people. He said, you know, I became all things to all men in order that I might win some. Some of those were Gentiles. That means he interacted with them. That means as they interacted, they might have actually invited him over for a meal. That means as they had a meal, they might have gotten meat from the market where that meat might have been inadvertently sacrificed to idols. He didn't ask where it came from. He just ate it with thanksgiving. And some saw this as a real problem. If receiving this food, he's receiving this food with a sense of, of gratitude, literally of grace that's been extended to him. He says, well, why am I being denounced? Why am I being blasphemed, if you will, for something I give thanks to God for? Again, it's the attitude of verse 20, 26, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And this heart of gratitude and even satisfaction, Paul uh, sanctification I should, should say I should say is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 4 through 5 as he says for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer this attitude of gratitude transforms what could easily be criticized into an opportunity to give God glory. And so he says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And by the way, that's where we get the the custom of saying grace or blessing the food. Actually, God is the one who blesses the food, but we bless God for it, right? For giving thanks. That's where this comes from. That's where this comes from. And so we can give glory to God for what he has provided. God, thank you for this steak, this burger, this lamb chop, this chicken, this corn on the cob, these green beans, this broccoli, these Brussels sprouts. That's a work of salvation. I mean, sanctification. I know. I I get it. But here's the point. The bottom line is whatever I do whether it includes food or drink, whatever I do, my work, my play, how I spend my time, my talent, my treasure, my goal has to be to give God glory. through Worshiping Him, thanking Him, obeying Him, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. And if my goal is to give God glory in what I do, then... The advancement of the gospel overrides personal freedom. Look at verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or of the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If what we eat, what we drink, if what we do causes somebody to be offended or somehow stumble so that they cannot hear the Word of God or they cannot hear the Gospel, then we probably need to not do that around that person because we want them to be saved. You want them to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, don't misconstrue, you know, Paul's statement about uh, pleasing others as him being a people pleaser. Okay, Paul's not trying to be a people pleaser. He addresses that in Galatians chapter um, one, verse ten, where he says, "Look, I try to please God and not men." In First Thessalonians two, uh, four, he also talks about how he's trying to please God and and not men, as he's been entrusted with the gospel. But again, he's trying to be winsome with the gospel. and So I'm going to read once again what he said in, in chapter 9, verses 20-22. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I myself am free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things, to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I want to present the gospel in a manner, in a context, where they can grasp this. They can understand it without putting a stumbling block in their way. You know, if you're trying to win a Muslim or a Jew, you're not going to win them by handing them a ham sandwich or even eating it in front of them. You have to be sensitive to where they're coming from. And there are moments where we need to say no to our own personal freedom. Again, in verse 33, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And Paul ultimately holds himself up as an example. Follow my example. And in the previous chapter, he just talked about all the rights he was willing to forego for the gospel. Follow my example. As I follow the example of Christ, Christ, who left glory, who put on flesh, dwelt among us, would be rejected, would go to the cross for our sake. For our salvation. That's the heart. That's where I want you to be coming from. So we're at the end of this, this whole subject matter. And maybe you're going, I, Pastor, I'm still not tracking. I'm still going, how does this affect me? What is, what is food offered to idols have to do with me? Well, let me say this. One thing that's good about God's Word is he addresses real problems in a real place and time. You know, If Paul lived today, I wonder what he'd have to say to us about social media. Right? He'd probably say, make sure you post something that builds people up, not tears them down. He'd probably say something like, make sure you're led by the Spirit before you press send. Right? But there's some principles here that we can still draw upon, even though we don't have temples in, in Rochester where food's being offered to idols and it doesn't affect our food chain. Some principles we can live by. and the way we live, what we do or we don't do. We need to do, being doing what we do for the good of others, as he talks about in verse 24. And for the glory of God, as he talks about in verse 31. And we do want to do it in a way in such a way that it doesn't get in the way of the gospel being received. And we want to do it in such a way where we are following Christ. But I want to take even one more step back, just kind of seeing this whole thing in the context of of this letter. Because I'll be honest with you, I preach what's there, and I don't always like to have to preach what's there. I'm going, Lord, really? We're going to talk about food sacrifice to idols again? Isn't, isn't this a bit overkill? What more do you have to say? What more do I have to say? And then I had to humble myself and even preach to myself and say, you know what? God put this here for a reason. It's, I'm not God. I don't choose these things. He is. There's a, there's a reason that this is here. And I preached to myself and said, this is God's word. He takes three chapters to deal with this matter. and Probably where it kinda of came into full light is actually Friday at lunch I sat down with Minnesota Teen Challenge Director Tom Trzinski. We grab lunch about once a month and just kind of talk about what's going on in our lives and with the Lord. And I was talking about this sermon. I'm going, Tom, I'm going to preach about this again. About idolatry, if you will. Know. And we we're talking about this. And he says, well it's it's here in God's word, because idolatry, that is taking God off the throne and replacing Him with someone or something else was so prevalent at that time. And You know where I'm going with this, right? And it's so prevalent in our time. It's so easy for us to take God off the throne and place something there. And even to keep saying, Jesus, You're Lord. It's easy for us to say that. It's, it's difficult for us to to do that, because we start looking to Jesus to advance our program. Whether that's our hopes, our dreams, our plans, our significance, our desires, our rights. Suddenly we start viewing Jesus, not as our Savior and our Lord, but the one who is the ends to our means. We follow him because we've got an agenda the life that we want to make happen. We stop forgetting. He says, no, you are not your own. I bought you at a price with my own blood. And I want you to live for my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. So are we reminded and so enthralled with who Jesus is as our Savior and Lord. Are we in awe of Him and reminded that we are the creation. He is the creator. We are the saved. He is the Savior. And we follow Him because He's the one who gives us life. He's the one who gives us life. And the grace to take ourselves off the throne of our desires, our rights, our preferences, and to live for Him in such a way that I can say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I do want to live for the good of others. I want to live in such a way that I am giving you the glory of my life. I want to live in such a way that I am not getting in the way of your gospel what I do or what I don't do. that I'm living in such a way that I am following you, even if I'm imitating it in somebody else who I see Jesus in, like Paul. I think the reason that he's got this whole subject about food, sacrifice to idols, because the issue is we oftentimes find ourselves worshiping ourselves. We need to be careful of that. And I ask the question, where are areas where we've taken them off the throne to put ourselves there? And folks, I'm preaching to myself. I'll tell you what, I was so vexed about a thing this morning, I had to say, Jesus, deliver me from this. And it was a minor thing. It was just about volleyball and one of my daughters. Deliver me. Because volleyball is a terrible guy. The terrible guy. The process every day of taking our desires, our stuff, off the throne and putting him back there. That's the big picture. That's the big message. To give him glory. To live for him. And live for his kingdom. So let me pray for us. And then, Brian, will you and the worship team close us in worship this morning? Lord, I I do thank you for your word. It's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Sometimes it cuts us, and we discover things about ourselves that we don't like at times. But you are gracious, Lord. You are gracious, Lord, that has come to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And you are God, who owns it all. And for that we can give you thanks, for that we can give you glory. And I pray that you give us lives of gratitude. And today on this Mother's Day, make us thankful for the grace that we've received at the hand of our own mothers. But Lord, ultimately make us thankful for who you are. As a Savior who came, To do what we couldn't do ourselves. To rescue us from ourselves. To give us life that we don't have in ourselves. To pay a debt that we could not pay. And Lord, to give us a glorious future and a life in you. That we don't have in ourselves, but we have in you. For that we say thank you. we do give you glory. So give us grace to proclaim that glory to this world world that desperately needs to hear it and that desperately needs to respond to it, that they may have life, life in you Lord Jesus in your name we pray these things Amen